I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Black Klansmen. There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. This is Ron Stallworth calling. Well, who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish, Italians, and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. The KKK is planning an attack. How do you propose to make this investigation? We'll establish contact over the phone. We'll need a white officer to play me when they meet face to face. You for the white race, Ron? Oh, hell yeah. So there becomes a combined Ron Ron Stallworth. Can you do that? With the right white man, we can do anything. When's the last time they let a rookie lead an investigation? Oh, that's right. Never. <laughs> okay. Become his friend. Let's get invited back. So what kind of stuff you guys do? Cross burdens, marches. This is fixing to be a big year for us. You ask too many questions. You undercover or something? We must unite and organize to fight racism. Are you down for the liberation of black people? Power to the people. All power to all the people. All power to all the people. It's right, sister. For you, it's a crusade. For me, it's a job. You're Jewish. That hatred, doesn't that piss you off? You're taking this Jew lie detector test. Why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game? I'm telling you, the wars are coming. White power! Black power! Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. That's us, Stallworth brothers. We're on a roll, baby. America first. America first. America first. If I would have known this was a clan, I wouldn't have taken this mother. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Black Klansman, and the story is as follows. From visionary filmmaker Spike Lee comes the incredible true story of an American hero. It's the early 1970s, and Ron Stallworth is the first African-American detective to serve in the Colorado Springs Police Department. Determined to make a name for himself, Stallworth bravely sets out on a dangerous mission, infiltrate and expose the Ku Klux Klan. The young detective soon recruits a more seasoned colleague, Flip Zimmerman, into the undercover investigation of a lifetime. Together, they team up to take down the extremist hate group as the organization aims to sanitize its violence, uh, violent rhetoric to appeal to the mainstream. The film is starring John David Washington, Adam Driver, Laura Harrier, and Topher Grace. It is written and directed by Spike Lee and co-written by David Rabinowitz, Charlie Wachtel, and Kevin Wilmot. Joining me for this review, I have Danilo Castro. How's it going, everybody? Beatrice Loiza. Hello, everyone. 
and Ryan C. Showers, the returning Ryan C. Showers, to a film review. Welcome back, Ryan. Hey, how are you guys? Uh, well, Ryan, last time we had you here was for Red Sparrow? Am I getting this right? No, I did Annihilation, I think. I tweeted up a storm about Red Sparrow. Oh, okay. Wow. So it's been a while. Very much so. Well, what a film to come back to, because I have to say, of all the movies that we've seen so far in 2018, there were a couple films, very few, that I would say are essential viewing for the year as a whole. You know, like when the year is all said and done, there's only a select few films that will come to define 2018. And I think Spike Lee's latest is definitely one of them. But let's not just hear it all from me right off the bat. Let's hear it first from you guys. Danilo, let's start off with you. What did you think of Black Klansman? I enjoyed Black Klansman. I thought there were lots of aspects to it that were really good. It's probably my favorite Spike Lee movie in well over a decade. I'm trying to think. Probably to like 25th hour. We're going back a long time. Um, I think there were certain aspects that... Maybe I wasn't so crazy about, uh, but uh, those are ultimately nitpicks. Uh, we'll get more into those kind of as the review goes on. Ultimately, I did very much enjoy it. Okay. Beatrice? Yeah, I I thought this was a legacy-defining film for Spike Lee. I thought it was really, really good. Um, and I have to say, my expectations weren't ridiculously high, only because I've seen the trailer so many times, and I really felt like I knew what I was going to get. But I was really upended. Uh, the film was exciting, funny, politically nuanced, beautifully crafted and provocative, of course. Um, I think Black Klansman really reminds us who Spike Lee is and where his work comes from. Not only is he a popular filmmaker, but he's he's a bona fide auteur. Uh, Black Klansman has something for a mainstream audience as well as the most uh, devoted film geeks out there. I don't know, this, this film was... Really awesome, and I'm glad Spike Lee is back. Okay, and Ryan? Uh, so I had very high expectations because it was Spike Lee, and everything was just heightened for me. Um, I thought the trailer was amazing, and I didn't over overdo myself watching it or preparing for the film. I kind of just went in blind, but I went in with high expectations blindly. And um, I think the film is very good, and it's original in a lot of ways and does some really innovative things, and makes a powerful point. Um, but I would argue that there's two ways to look at this film. You can look at it as a narrative film, just, you know, here's a story, a real life story. Um, the way I found, I kind of found myself watching it last night was more, more as a political statement, um, that Spike Lee was making about 2018. And I'll go into that further later on. But, um, and I think it works better if it's uh, looking at it through the lens of a political statement and a personal uh, rebuke of the current administration. Yeah, so I, as I said before, I think that this is an essential film for this year, mostly because of the voice of Spike Lee, which is very uncompromising, as it always is. And one of the things that I did find so fascinating about Black Klansman was, to your point, Beatrice, not that it feels like a bookend, so to speak, with Do the Right Thing, but Do the Right Thing is almost 30 years old. It will be next year. And for him to 
for that to be almost like his defining film for his whole career and for the theme of that film to be this constant struggle, this battle between love and hate and how the two are forever in conflict with one another, to see that theme continue itself through the passage of time, not just from the time Do the Right Thing came out, but also, too, from the time that slavery existed in America to the time that it was abolished to the time that it has grown into what it has become in the modern day. I mean, we're recording this podcast today one year, one year to the day exactly when the Charlottesville attacks happened in Virginia. And to see how modernized it's become and how much racism has changed over time in this country it's all encapsulated in black Klansmen, and i believe that that is the thing that is both surprising it's it makes it essential um it is entertaining at times don't get me wrong there were funny bits throughout the film that were uproariously uh entertaining but it also is quite horrifying it's uncomfortable to watch and my lord does it deliver a gut punch of an ending to its audience um Matt, uh, can I jump in and just say, I think, um, since you mentioned um, Charlottesville, I think this film was made, I don't know if he decided to make this film or when, when it, I don't know when it was shot, um, before or after Charlottesville, but... No, it was shot after. It was shot okay. actually um, in, around the springtime okay. of actually, yeah, of earlier this year. So is it safe to say that, um, at least watching the film blind, I got the sense that Charlottesville was the impetus for... Spike Lee to make this film or to make such a statement with this film. Oh, yeah, because um, I, I spoke with the writers of, of the film, uh, Charlie Wachtel and David Rabinowitz, uh, actually, the other night, and they were the ones who created the first draft of the screenplay, mostly because they found the story of Ron Stallworth itself to be fascinating, for him to be a very interesting character to write a story around, which is all very true. When the screenplay then got brought over to Jordan Peele, Jason Blum gets involved, they bring on Spike Lee. Spike Lee added his own commentary, his own flavor, so to speak, to make it into what we now call a Spike Lee joint. And it's interesting how the main streamlined narrative of this rookie cop who is entering into um, this, this, this institution of racism uh, with the police department and has to deal uh, with the pressures of that and then also being um, a protector for the community and the community that he that both reviles and also um you know uh, respects him it's it's very it's very interesting uh, that part of it but there's certain things like for example um the alec baldwin opening the harry ba- belafonte uh scene where they talk about the lynching of jesse jackson there there are certain moments that unquestionably make this a spike lee film that were later added in by spike to give it that extra commentary and also, can we just um, casting Alec Baldwin to portray the opening was so brilliant since Alec Baldwin plays um, President Trump on SNL. Yeah, the closest you can get to, you know, explicitly saying, you know, Spike Lee saying to President Trump, "Hey, this is you, my friend." Let's talk about that opening. Actually, though, let's start off with that. Let's start off with this. Kind of a jarring, but also tone-setting opening. I mean, um, Beatrice, what did, what did you ultimately think when Alec Baldwin showed his face on screen? Well, of course, I was um, 
a little shocked because Alec Baldwin isn't exactly Mr. Popular in Hollywood right now. But I mean, I agree with Ryan in that it was a really intelligent use of his character on Saturday Night Live. Um, and I thought he was effective. Um, but I think it's interesting because um, for so many issues surrounding racial politics today, Lee has something in this movie that corresponds. And to your earlier point, yes, I think this movie's uh, very much in reaction to Charlottesville, but from the opening scene, he also makes it a critique of, of the legacy of cinema by showing those final scenes of Gone with the Wind and their racist, yeah. its racist legacy. Yep, and something that a lot of people till this day turn a, a blind cheek to because of, you know, the prestige and the awards that it won and how high in, in high regard it's held as a craft of cinema. And a lot of people do forget the institutionalized racism that is contained within that film and how it's kind of ignored. Um, so in the opening lines, uh, I'm sure everybody picked up on them. He, like Spike Lee wrote, the exact words of President Trump in some cases, like the infamous, you know, escalator announcement of his campaign in 2015, he said about murders and rapists. Like Trump, I mean, Alec Baldwin literally says, calls um, black people murders and rapists in the, that opening scene. But also something I found really interesting was um, Alec Baldwin also uses the word super predator, which is, I'm not sure if you guys know the context of that, but that's a shot at Hillary Clinton for using that term in the nineties. Yep. And, um, and I have, um, so Spike Lee did not vote for her. And a, a part of me, like I'm, I love this film and the way that it takes on the administration almost directly in a way that the post did last year. But and then a part of me is feels, it feels tied because, you know, Spike Lee, you know, didn't, he didn't necessarily help prevent this you know, prevent President Trump from being elected. Yet he then hands us a movie about, you know, how he, how Trump is the modern version of the KKK, like two years later. Well, Spike Lee doesn't give a shit if you agree with his politics or not. <laughs> I mean, I think that it goes beyond politics here. This film is not, yes, there are jabs at politics throughout the film, but I think that the message of the film is much more universal than, um, the black perspective versus um, the the white, you know, hate, hateful perspective that is being presented. And a lot of times is also in Spike Lee's other work. And I say this because uh, the character Flip Zimmerman, played by Adam Driver, is, uh, is Jewish. And he, too, is under constant threat of danger from this group of white nationalists and neo-Nazis, whatever you want to call them in this film. And... I think that it just I think it's I think it just goes beyond political lines here and he's trying to get at something much more universal between like I was saying before um the people who embody um all the good qualities of this world of love of justice and uh, you know and so on and so forth versus pure unadulterated hatred. Yeah, that's fair. And you know, you you can you can call that what you want, but I I don't think that Spike gives a crap about, you know, uh, the politics of it all. I think he's trying to get at something a little bit more visceral than that. No, that's fair. I, um, but I also think we have to acknowledge the fact that he has President Trump in the finale. You know, in the, I mean, in the ending scene, repeatedly saying, "Oh, there are e bad people on both sides. There were equal, equally bad people on both sides." He repeats that line like three times. So I think the politics of it is extremely 
an extremely important part of this. But no, you're right. It trans. It's it's a universal story, but I think he's really trying to get under our skin and wake. And this is like a wake up call for some people. People who you know may not like. I mean, Adam Driver and um, he his character has a similar thing where um, the lead actor says. Uh, don't you, uh, you know, they're talking about you. Why aren't you angry? And he says, well, I'm angry on the inside. And I think Spike Lee, a part of that, um, that part of the film is meant to shake some people up viscerally. What do you think, Danilo? What did you think of the opening? I thought the opening was obviously the SNL connection kind of brought it some um, validity and sort of kind of a, a, a clever jab. But I think it was also effective in that it kind of established the tone of the film. Uh, that he keeps flubbing the lines. Oh, yes. There's almost a comedic <laughs> aspect to it that um, that you see throughout the film where he breaks up these really dire circumstances with, with great moments of levity to kind of make it palatable, not necessarily take the seriousness out of the situation, but to add an entertainment value that makes it more engaging, I think, as a viewer. So I thought that was a great tone setter in addition to the casting, in addition to kind of setting the table... Uh, in terms of like the narrative, you, you know what I have to also say to that too, because uh, I'm a ha- I have heard some people say that the film is way too serious a subject matter to have it also be this funny, entertaining movie at times, mm-hmm. and I think that's actually brilliant. Me too. I think it on is too. Spike Lee's part too, because the more mainstream you make this film, the more people will see it, and I think it's undebatable when they leave the theater the feeling that one is left with by the end of this film. So you can get the person that's going into this thinking, oh, you know, this looks like a, uh, you know, entertaining film Mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, a black guy infiltrating the KKK. I want to see what that's all about. And they walk out of this and they might get a new perspective and some new ideas and their brain might start working. Who knows? And next thing you know, you have created an awareness. And as an artist and as a, a political activist, Spike Lee has done his job. Then, absolutely, yeah, uh, definitely. It's a, it's a, um, it's a very compelling film, um, and very watchable. I feel like you could sit, just, I think you could sit anyone down, and they would at least not be bored. They wouldn't be playing on their phones. They would, it would hold their attention, which, yeah, goes to your point, Matt. And I think that's the one of the biggest strengths of the film, and probably something that will help its longevity in terms of something like the help. I don't know, like you can sit anybody down and watch the help and they're like into it sure um not bored so this is definitely a little bit more intense i would say oh, absolutely and this is a lot <laughs> his, this, this handles the race relations a lot better than the help i'm i'm not i didn't make that comparison for that reason mm-hmm. um but just the entertaining um compelling value of the film yeah because you know it's frightening at times it's tense very tense there's that scene where this guy, what's his name? His name is Felix in the movie. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the name of the actor is that plays him. Um, but he, that that guy is damn frightening in almost every scene that he's in this film. And he plays it, he plays it a little, a little over the top at times, I would say, maybe. A little too menacing, perhaps. But that scene where he's going to have um, Adam Driver take the, the lie detector test. To take his pants off? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Like, I was on the edge of my seat during that because I didn't know how Adam Driver was going to get out of that situation. Actor's name is Jasper. Oh, my Lord. I'm, I'm never going to get this right. There's, there's way too many symbols. And pe- 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 Pekonin. 
Pakonen. Is it like a uh, Swedish name? It's a he's a Finnish actor. Finnish, okay. Yeah. So Well he did a great job. Yeah, no, he he was very good. I have to say I was a little underwhelmed by Topher Grace in this because I felt like he was hyped up a little too much for me. I See, agree. I I thought he worked well within the context of the film. Had he been like a, a had like Chris, a Christoph Waltz vibe, like a little over the top but charisma, I think it would have it would have taken me out of the film a little bit and made it made him not work as much. No, yeah, he's serviceable, but people were talking like that he could get maybe an Oscar play with something like this and Best Supporting Actor, and I was like, what? Why? You know, yeah. I don't really see anything in this that warrants that and then i started to wonder well maybe adam driver and there is one scene in the film where adam driver has that uh monologue where he does kind of reconcile uh like you were saying earlier um i believe it was it was you ryan right yeah about how he comes to grips with his heritage and how he usually uh holds all that anger on the inside and he he explains that in more detail but even then i was like hmm Adam Driver's playing this a little too subtle, uh, oh, yeah. so I don't see, I don't see any Oscar potential there either. And then a thought kind of occurred to me here: John David Washington is a star after this movie. He's great. He is going to be cast in everything, probably, and his profile is going to go way, way up. And then I started to question to myself, if this film really does gain some traction, could we be looking at a potential Oscar play even for him? Maybe. I don't know. I think he I, – I wrote that Golden Globe piece this week for the website, um, and I, I included him in my um, predictions for best actor in a comedy musical, um, definitely. I think he's definitely the MVP of the film. Um, I don't think many of the supporting cast really stood out in a notable way. Um I don't know. Well, actually, you know what? You know what I just thought of? And everyone here saw I, Tanya last year, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Paul Walter Hauser is hysterical. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. And he does the same shtick that he did in I, Tanya. Don't get me wrong. But, man, oh, man, is he a funny actor to watch. Yeah. He found his niche with roles like this. Beatrice? What do you think of the performances in this? Well, I, I have to agree with Topher Grace. I think that he's good and that he kind of looks like how you'd expect David Duke to look like at the time. Um, and he kind of carries a certain demeanor that you'd expect out of a corporate corporate Klansman. Um, so he like looks the part, I think. But I feel like the script didn't give him much room to do anything outstanding. As for Driver, um, I really, really liked him. Um, I think that both Driver and Washington are great, but they're more like symbols. Um, so with Driver, he's not necessarily a standout. He doesn't outshine his leads in any way. Um, but I think the role he's given is is super important and nuanced, and I think he nails it, you know, particularly with the scene you were referencing when they're talking about um, how he's acknowledging for the first time that he's Jewish and he's gone on for so long just passing as a waspy white person. And I think that was really great and central to one of the film's uh, messages. I think Driver's a big stand-in, of course, for, for white people that aren't really wasps, but that reap the benefits of it. But then also, and I think Lee is trying to make this point um, of white people that you know, can so easily straddle the line of 
Ali and Enemy. Oh, like that. Um, uh, who is it? The well, there's there's two there's two examples. I think there's there's the police chief in the film where I I wouldn't say he's so much an enemy, just more like he's being a hard ass. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. I, th- it is very weird to me that he does put Ron Stallworth in charge of David Duke's protection when it just seems like that is the worst idea in the world ever. Yeah. Yeah. I I was like, what's your reasoning behind this? And then the script tries to give you a reason, and I, I'm just like, I'm not buying it. That just seems like the dumbest decision, and you're gonna blow this whole thing up. I agree. It, it did make yeah. it seem. It, it was like a, a. It was unexpected for his character. They established him as, like you said, a hard ass, but that seemed like, whoa, that's that's blowing it out of proportion a little bit. Yeah, like you're you're putting him deliberately in harm's way. You're putting the investigation in harm's way, and yeah. that was like one moment in the film where I I just. Like that took me out completely, and for such a great script too. Like th- yeah. that was the worst part of the script, absolutely. Yeah, it, but but it was, but it seems like the film. It, it seems like they had to do it because it's like, well, the film calls for it. We need Ron there. We need Ron, you know, interacting with them. We need it to be tense. We need to follow Ron through this scene. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. the story is calling for it, and we got to just come up with a weird way to make it happen slow yeah a cut corner but i have to say though when he takes that photo with david duke it is priceless <laughs> that was great <laughs> i did oh, very much that was a great scene that was really really well done the other uh character in the film that obviously i mean there is no question as to his morals whatsoever there's that one uh dirty cop in the film who is completely racist mm-hmm. and he makes you know no apologies about it whatsoever and there is that really, really great payoff scene uh, towards the end of the film where we see both sides, both white and black, working together to vanquish hatred, evil, racism. And, and, and you know, you guys were talking earlier about how the characters almost act as symbols in a sort of way. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that with a scene like that at the film, that is by saying if we come together we can we, we 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 ultimately can have love prevail over hatred if we if we find a common way to work together and coexist with one another so i i'm very interested in spike lee's use of contrasts within the film obviously the film starts off in black and white no surprise uh with that intro by alec baldwin and there is always this cross-cutting between the Black Panther or Black Black Power uh, movement and the white supremacist, the Ku Klux Klan, and the two groups. And I think this is going back to something that you brought up before, Ryan, about Donald Trump's comments about there being um, uh, people on both sides, you know, yep. and so on and so forth. And what I found, what I found interesting about that is um, the character Kwame Ture, played by Corey Hawkins in this from uh, Straight Outta Compton, The Walking Dead, there is a scene where he's advocating for people to shoot a racist cop instead of joining the war and killing the Vietnamese. And there is all this, you know, talk of violence. And I could understand, I could understand the mentality more with that where the other aspect of it, the other side of it with the Ku Klux Klan and what they're preaching, there's nothing behind it other than just pure hatred where on the black power side it's fueled by injustice Mm -hmm. and they're angry that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to go through with it necessarily 
um, as we see that there is a conflict uh, all throughout, basically. But it, it goes back to um, and do the right thing and how Absolutely. both the messages of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King are both um, presented throughout the film and how each one of them chooses to tackle an, an, um, an issue with their ideas and their practices. And I, I just found that aspect of the film, especially in scenes where, I mean, my Lord, I'm, uh, that that Harry Belafonte scene. Yeah. That scene, that that's like one of the most powerful scenes of the whole year. And it's precisely because Spike Lee does cross-cutting between that speech that he's giving about Jesse Washington and the initiation of the new members into the Ku Klux Klan that David Duke is carrying out. It, it is, oh my God, it's just yeah. so powerful. Terrible. That that climax is really, really impressive to me. One of the best scenes in, in cinema I've seen in a while. You've got legend Harry Belafonte delivering that really harrowing eyewitness testimony of Klansmen to the Black Student Union. And he's talking about uh, D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation while... Over at Klan Central, you've got a whole crowd of Klansmen getting inspired and riled up by their own screening. And then Ron is racing to save Patrice from the terrorist attack in a way that echoes that final ride to rescue the white woman from the scary black guy seen in Birth of a Nation. And on top of this, all the scenes are filtered through, like you said, Matt, cross-cutting editing technique that was established by birth of a nation <laughs> right it's so dense it's like very <laughs> it's, brilliant. Yeah. it's complex yeah it is so good it is so so good and there you know i'm gonna go back to contrast one more time i love that the fake ron stallworth played by adam driver in this is undercover with the ku klux klan and he is constantly in danger of being discovered as this jewish man while the real Ron Stallworth is getting closer with Patrice, played by uh, Laura Harrier. People might recognize her from Spider-Man Homecoming. And he's in danger of being exposed as a police officer. The irony. And I, I don't, I, yeah, I just didn't know if anybody else, uh, you know, caught, caught on to that, that there's just always this play of contrast happening throughout the film. Well, and I think I think Spike Lee is saying something about that. He's saying something about identity and about society and how we have to hide our identities to a certain extent to fit in with whichever group we're associating with and their roles and their ideological views. And um, it's I think it's a powerful thing that's throughout the entire film in different shades and in different forms. And I think he does um, an amazing job with that. And also, do the right thing. So you mentioned that, Matt, and you basically described the climax of the burning of the pizza shop in Do the Right Thing and the anger behind that um, whenever you were discussing um, the point you made earlier. Mm -hmm. So um, I think I like that homage, too. Yeah, because it's not, you know, it's interesting how uh, we, we Josh Parm and I talked about this on our review of Do the Right Thing a lot. We talked about how it could have come to murder. Mm -hmm. It was close to getting to that point. But what Mookie does in Do the Right Thing, played by Spike Lee, is he takes the trash can, he throws it through the window, and he redirects the anger away yeah. from people and towards the restaurant. It becomes symbolic. It becomes a way for everyone to express their anger at the injustice that they are facing. And in the process of doing so, 
he saves Sal and his son's lives that that evening. And I, I think that, and, um, you know, it, yeah, go ahead. So, no, I, I just want to say I watched Do the Right Thing with um, twice in college, okay, with two different sets of classmates. And um, no, I and they were predominantly white. I mean, I live in State College, Pennsylvania. Uh, this is at Penn State. And nobody, uh, the majority of the audience and uh, my classmates did not understand the, the the anger and frustration whenever we watched Do the Right Thing and what you just described about the garbage can. However, I think that Black Klansman articulates the anger and the motivations behind the anger in the um, in that opening scene in the rally in a much better way than Do the Right Thing. It's very, it's more explicit, and I think um, maybe it's easier to digest in this film and it's such a different time now well do you think that's also because spike lee is just like i've had it with this ambiguous shit i'm angry i want the world to know that i'm angry and <laughs> Why? i want the world just to get angry to and do something about it because this is so freaking ridiculous yeah. that we're dealing with this still <laughs> it's like you white people get with the program listen to what i'm saying like, exactly <laughs> yeah i think this is interesting because it feels like the first spike lee movie about black people that is very much meant for a white audience a weird way and and there have been pieces written about this i saw one written by uh, candace uh, frederick the other day and she said um it is it, it appeals more to white people but that's not necessarily a bad thing that she said um and that is because hopefully as something that's being preached about a lot today uh we need to open up our minds more we need to get diverse opinions and we need to have conversations that maybe we are not having so that this way we could be inspired to elicit hopefully real change right and we need to check our white privilege yes yeah i think they're in in that scene prior it's prior to the I forget when exactly, but it's when uh, Ron Stallworth is is reading the paper, all incredulous of the fact that the Ku Klux Klan has political aspirations. He's like, "No way can this happen." Then Sergeant Trapp, played by oh Ken God. Garrido, comes in. And he tells them to wake up because it obviously can. And you know, this is only you know one of the references to modern day Trumpian politics. But I mean, the fact that what's being said today applies so seamlessly to a movie set in the 70s at the time of the second clan uprising that's terrifying and i think that's one of the messages this film is trying to give to to audiences particularly white ones and i think a lot of people need to wake themselves up to the idea that the ku klux klan never went away charlottesville proved that uh last year if, if you all happen to miss it for some reason and it's just it's just evolved. It's it's different. They don't. A lot of them don't wear white robes in public anymore. They don't necessarily sometimes always do cross burnings and so on and so forth. And that's talked a lot about in this film too, actually, where the clan in the seventies is going through a transformation, and we see when they show the footage from Charlottesville, we do see the modernization of what that looks like today and how they've even evolved from the seventies into what they look like today. And what's really scary about this is how unapologetic and how unfearful they are because a lot of them feel that they have one of their own who embodies a lot of their beliefs in the highest position of government today. 
Yeah, and he's giving them the thumbs up. That's the, the that's what Spike Lee is trying to say. Look, like you know, our president is giving these people the thumbs up. The people who voted for him voted for this, and now this is what we are, and this is what's acceptable. Like, and you should be angry about it. You should be pissed off. I'm pissed off. I mean, like and that's exactly night. why at the, the last image. I mean, it's interesting because I felt like this film could have ended like five times. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the last image that Spike Lee does choose to end it on is the image of the upside down black and white American flag. And it is brilliant. Right. I think this kind of speaks to how you notice that there's so many contrasts within the films that at the end of the day, Spike Lee sets up all these contrasts, but then he also includes that quote by Trump that's there's very fine people on both sides in reference to Charlottesville. So he sets up both these sides, but then he leaves it up to the audience to choose. There's obviously one that is, you know, that is correct. And one is the audience to choose. I think he said, I think, I think it's clear. He's saying, look how dumb this is. Look how horrifyingly scary this is. Look how scary that the president is saying that we're, that the people who are being victimized are being criticized and made equal to the crimes of the other side. I think it's right. more, I don't, I don't think it's an audience interpretation. It's, mm-hmm. I think he's making a clear definitive look, this is not okay. And we need to do something about it. And, he, and, and in today's day and age where I, I want to believe there is more awareness, this quote unquote woke culture, as it were, Spike Lee's voice is more important than ever, and I think that's why the film is resonating with people in such a powerful way. I want to move over to final thoughts, great out of 10, and now the Oscar potential at this point for this film. Danilo, let's start off with you. What did you ultimately think of Black Klansman, and what grade would you give it? Uh, I ultimately enjoyed Black Klansman. Um, I was going to go back to a scene that Beatrice mentioned where Ron Starworth is talking with, I forget what his name is, Trap, Sergeant Trap, about... You know, he's 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 kind of uh, stupefied by the idea of someone like David Duke being president one day, and they really like, uh, uh, and I felt like the footage at the end and the parallels drawn elsewhere throughout the film made the comparisons to the modern day effectively enough. I felt like that was a moment where Spike Lee kind of winked a little too long at the audience, and and, and it just kind of stuck out because I think wait 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 the dialogue scene or the or the footage at the end. I thought that the footage at the end was very powerful. I, I think the the scene in the middle where he's talking to Sergeant Trapp and he's like, "You don't think someone like that could be president?" I'm I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. I, but I they really okay. kind of like, uh And I just, I just, it felt out of sorts with the rest of the film that I thought handled that topic really cleverly, and so that stuck out to me. But wait, but but I just want to ask though, just in reference to that, so the the use of Alec Baldwin in the beginning that was a little too subtle that it didn't bother you but then this was a little too on the nose just so i'm getting that correct the baldwin thing i didn't mind but but yeah the way that particular exchange was handled it, it took me out of the movie like oh there it, it was almost like they were pausing for the reaction i i will admit there was a bit of manipulation there because it is edited in such a way and timed so perfectly that it does get a reaction from the audience at least i know for me when i saw it my audience just was like you know, uh, ha, ha, yeah. you know, yeah. same, the same here. Everybody did the, uh, yeah, I get it. I, 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 I can, I can hear that. So that, that would be, that would be kind of one of my, that was one of my little nitpicks with it. Overall, I'm going to give this a seven out of 10. I thought it was really solidly done, but I think it is 
I don't think it is a classic or anything like that. And to go back to what Ryan's point was at the beginning, I think as a political statement, it's almost more effective uh, than it is as a narrative, or at least more unique uh, than it is as a narrative. I think it's a good film. So 7 out of 10 for me. Oscar potential, I think it has a good chance at screenplay. And I think picture... I think it I think it has a good chance a picture. Director I'm a little less clear on, but screenplay and picture I th- I think we'll end up seeing it at the end of the year. In just those two. Those are the only two that I feel pretty confident about. Like I said, with director it's a possibility, but with picture and in screenplay I I, I feel pretty I feel pretty sure. Yeah, because the academy they need to have I believe it's well, now who knows with the, with the amount of new people for the new membership, but it's probably anywhere between two and 300 people need to put that film in number one of the year in order to get a Best Picture nomination. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, with the reactions I'm seeing from a lot of people on Twitter, especially about, you know, after they saw it this, uh, this opening night, talking about how powerful it is and how essential it is, and it, I, I could definitely see this film getting the, this is important. Yeah. That's what it feels like that, at least right now, you know, while, while the while the commotion's still going on. So we'll see if it if it carries on through. But those are the, those would be the two that come to mind uh, currently. OK, Ryan. So I think that this is a, a hugely important um, political statement. And um, Spike Lee, I actually enjoy. I, so I hear a lot of people saying, oh, this is too on the nose for me. Oh, that didn't work. See, I. I took all of the on the nose things and I thought I, I just went with them. I embraced all of the on the nose things because that's what I feel like his point of this whole movie was. And the story was just kind of built around the on the nose things. At least that's how I saw it. Whatever. Um, I don't think, and I agree, it's not going to be a, a classic. Oh, you don't think so? I don't, not in the same way that do the right thing is. Um, I, I don't agree. think it's. Oh, I see. Now, I think it's like, I think it's maybe top five work for him personally. It's probably top 10. I, I like it a lot. I really, really do. And I think it's extremely powerful. The ending, I, I took me a minute to kind of like gather myself after the credits start, um, started to roll because I, the ending is so potent. And in terms of Oscar prospects, I agree. I think this release date was, actually works for the, the quality of the film and the film as an overall product and, and how it ties in with um, Charlottesville's anniversary. Um, but I don't think it's going to have the legs to be a, a five plus nominated film. I think it's going to be, I think screenplay is its strongest bet. I think picture picture is also, um, also likely, uh, and director is also likely, but I think those are, I think that's its best day. Those three. And I'm an eight. Okay. Beatrice. I think I like this movie, uh, more, but uh, just to, come back to Washington very briefly. Um, I think Washington is, is terrific. I've not seen ballers, but he really hits each beat here. And to me, it makes perfect sense why, why Lee singled him out as the star. And this is a bit of a tangent, but I promise I'll get to the point. I mean, this, this movie, I think, wants to honor the legacy of black activists and creatives and its visual and literal references to, you know, the great black exploitation films of its time. I think it's very oh, yeah, that's a good scene. aware of black cinema as a counter myth to things like Birth of a Nation or Gone with the Wind. And while black exploitation films weren't considered art by the mainstream, we're at a place in time now where we're better able to appreciate the legacy of 
of people like Harry Belafonte or the beauty of something like a black student activist union and the badassness of a black undercover cop. And so Denzel Washington, um, I think, is the first super famous black Hollywood actor. I mean, you drop his name and people know who you're talking about. Well, 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 Sidney Poitier. Yeah, Sidney Poitier. Yeah, sorry. But I'd say Denzel is one of the greatest. Sure. Um, Maybe the first or second. I don't know. But, you know, the legacy that Denzel is leaving in Hollywood is something we want to honor, not Birth of a Nation or Gone with the Wind. So for me, it's spectacular that we have this new star, literally the blood heir of Denzel, help realize this very important film. And... I think it's awesome, and I love this film. And it's also uh, it's also great that Denzel got his career in the early days off the ground by working with Spike Lee in some yeah. of his earlier films. So yeah, it's a nice full circle. There's a great symmetry there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what's your grade, Beatrice? Um, I would give it in 9 out of 10 for me. Um, I think it's Oscar prospects are for Best Director, um, adapted screenplay. I don't know if this will happen, but I'd really like it for best score for um, Terrence Blanchard. I thought the score was really, um, it really made the film for me, or it lifted the film up for me. Um, I, I really loved it. I'm not going to go so far as to say picture because I'm a bit of a cynic <laughs> when it comes to what makes it into that. But yeah, those are my picks. Okay. So Black Landsman is very entertaining film um it's very watchable film until there are scenes where all of a sudden it's not it it can be very extremely uncomfortable for some people um if you don't have tough skin and hearing unfiltered hate talk hate speech uh whatever you want to call it from members of the Ku Klux Klan and just how unapologetic they are in their viewpoints. If that if that upsets you, that disturbs you. I mean, I, I haven't heard dialogue written this way like this since I've I don't know what, American History X? And in, in just how blatantly hateful it, it, it is sometimes. But I think it's important. I think it's important that people hear that. And I think it I think Spike knows that. And I think that he did everything in his power to make this film into what it is, and that is both um, on the outside an accessible, entertaining film that's going to lure people in, and then when they see it and they get these incredibly powerful scenes that they're not expecting, it's going to leave such a lasting impact and Spike's message that he has been preaching for decades. Um, But now, because of the climate that we're living in, hopefully is going to be heard more. It it seems like it is by many people. Um, That is masterful and that is impactful. And that is something that I just I walked out of this and I was just I was elated. I I, I was really, really, really I was it reinvigorated my love for the art of filmmaking, what filmmaking can be. And also for Spike Lee and how much we should all appreciate Spike Lee. So, I I think the performances are fine. Uh, John David Washington definitely is a standout, and he is a bonafide star after this film, for sure. Uh, I do have some issues with the editing of the movie. Um, That's something that I don't think we really touched upon. I do think there are one or two sequences that do go on for far too long. I'm trying to think. uh, Like, there's uh, the Corey Hawkins speech. 
Oh. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, you're right. I, I thought that went on for me. Yeah, where, where they're, the, the montage kind of. With the heads looking up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was it, it was it was very really cool like the first two three times but it gets done like five or six times <laughs> yeah right and I was just like I was like all right like I was hanging on to every word and I was in it don't get me wrong it's a well written well well done scene but like that's that tended to drag a little bit for me uh, there's the scene where they go to the dance club and the music's playing and instead of that being like a tightly edited chopped scene that seems to play out for longer than it needs to. Um, there were definitely just some sequences. Like I said, the uncomfortable banter between the Ku Klux Klan uh, members, uh, there, there just comes a point where I'm like, I, I, I get it already. Like, and I don't know, maybe that was just me with, you know, just, you know, being uncomfortable during, uh, some, just hearing that, uh, cause it's, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. Uh, dialogue to hear mm -hmm. and you know one shouldn't like it but you know we have spike lee saying no no no, shut up you need to hear this so i, I get it <laughs> matt i actually agree with you about the editing i forgot to i wanted to mention that too i i don't think brevity is um something spike lee's going for here um it does some things do go on for a little bit however there are some cool editing um things that he does oh yeah there's definitely some unique techniques uh definitely employed in this for sure but to, I think in terms of awards prospects, I think the the cool stuff kind of gets washed out by the overdone stuff. Um, I, I, I agree with you objectively. I, I, I don't know how the industry will take it, though. I, I could see them, despite that, still going for it. Does that does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. 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 Because even even if there are uh, some complaints there, I. I I don't know. I, I, I definitely could see some people thinking, well, that was some of the most memorable editing uh, that was unique and that no, I didn't see in any other film this year. I could see somebody checking that off. Well, here here's a question for you, Matt. Mm -hmm. Do, I don't know. I'm, people have been asking me on Twitter. I don't, I don't know how to answer. Do you or do, does anybody think that – what do you guys think about the legs this movie has to last from August through – February or January, whenever we have things like the favorite, a star is born, the front runner, backseat, all these big things are about to just take over the world and in, in our world. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if this has the legs to, you know, withstand all of basically all of the Oscar movies that are going to be released, you know, from from the festivals on. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I do. I, I, I do know. Um, and I can tell you, I am 98 percent confident it will. And, I, and, I, and the reason why I feel this way is because we saw how something like Get Out was able to last a whole entire year last year. Um, we could even potentially see that with Black Panther, although with the creation of a new category lately, who knows what's going on with that. But needless to say, I do think that August is – I don't think August is too early – I do believe that there are some contenders that we are anticipating in the fall that are not going to be as big a hits as we think they are on paper, because that always happens. Right now, it looks like there's so many contenders and so much still to happen, and that is true. But I don't think every single one of them is going to be a slam dunk. What I do know is I do know that this film is resonating with people. People are reacting strongly to this film. And one only need to look at the praise that this film is receiving both on Rotten Tomatoes, on Twitter, and elsewhere to know, like, factually, we know that this film is landing with people now. Will it last? Hey, you know what? Things can happen. 
But I'll tell you this much. Adapted screenplay, I think, is assured. I see absolutely no world where this misses adapted screenplay. And I think I think people would be smart to even say that it could even be the winner. No, I agree with you 100%. Like, it's going to get that nomination for sure. And probably Best Picture, but I just don't know if it has the legs from August to January to get more than that. Maybe well, director, I, I, maybe. I, yeah, that, that's, what I, that's what I was about to say. I, I, I definitely, so my thought process is this. I could see it getting... Adapt is assured. Picture I, is, the, is the next thing I feel the best about because, like I said, I do think there's going to be those number one votes for it. Director, that's where the shakeup, it's like things need to things need to happen in order for that to happen, I feel like. Um, the narrative for Spike needs to be super strong. Critics have to go for Spike. Contenders, other contenders need to fall off. Like, things need to happen in order for that to happen. And I could see it, like I said, so, you know, maybe it's not a two-nominee film. Maybe it is. Maybe it's like The Post. Maybe it's like A Serious Man, The Blind Side, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe it is a picture and another nomination, and that is it. Sure, why not? But who knows? If the film does land, maybe a costume design nomination, maybe editing. I won't go any further than that, though. Okay, that's fair. I, I just I don't know if this film is going to be and the, like you mentioned get out and i think the difference is i don't think black Klansman's going to make the money that get out made i don't think so either but i think it's going to make money i don't i'm not confident it's going to be a huge profit i think it's going to be i think there's there will be a profit and people are going to be interested in seeing it now but after a certain point it's going to tear off where films like black panther didn't Oh, I think as a message movie, uh, I think as a message movie, as, as a movie that's looked at as important, I don't know if we're going to get a lot of movies that compete in that particular facet heading into Oscar season uh, in this particular lane. So I think that'll help it kind of have its place maybe going into award season a little more than if not, you know, if that if that aspect wasn't there. And also, too, we have to remember um they could time the Blu-ray DVD 4K maybe release to coincide when voting happens. Yeah. So there, there is that. Okay. Uh, a lot of things could happen. Uh, right now, I, I definitely don't think that this is a non-contender. I'm not ready to say it's a full-fledged contender, but the only reason why I'm saying that is because it is early. Uh, but at the same time, um, I desperately want it to be a contender because, like I said, I think that when all is said and done and we look back on 2018, I think Black Klansman is going to be one of the defining films of 2018. Yeah, I agree. No, I, I think this is. I, I hate. I know you're going to hate this comparison, Matt. But to like for me, I think Black Klansman is going to symbolically represent 2018 as a year politically, socially, culturally, in a similar way that the Post did last year. Um, in a, in to a certain regard, with like in for its debate about journalism and um, freedom of the press and um, feminism. So. I, this is much stronger and much more potent, I think. But I, that's how I'm viewing it. So Okay. Any uh, final thoughts before we go? So, Matt, what were you? Were you an eight? Oh, sorry. Yeah, eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I kind of got cut off. I, I'm an eight, too. So. Gotcha. Okay. All right, so seven, eight, eight, and nine. Not bad. Yeah. Okay, so, Ryan, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at Ryan C. Showers on Twitter. Beatrice? Uh, you can find me at BeansproutBia on Twitter. And Danilo. You can find me at Danilo S. Castro on Twitter. 
And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast review of Spike Lee's Black Klansman. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. Help support us on Patreon. $1 minimum a month gets you some exclusive podcast content. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And we shall see you all next time. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.